Well, we are in the middle of our Romans series, so if you could open up your Bibles to the book of Romans. If you need a Bible, raise a hand and we will be sure to get you a Bible. Bibles are coming down the aisles, and I'm going to ask that you turn with me to the book of Romans. And more specifically, you can turn to chapter 3, Romans chapter 3. If you're just jumping in our Romans series, I'm going to catch you up to speed really quickly by going over briefly what we've talked about the last two weeks. Um, Two weeks ago, our title was, if I can get the clicker to work, you might have to advance that for me. Um, First slide is introduction, I'm not ashamed. It was the title of our Bible study two weeks ago. And we really went over just the information and the context of the book of Romans. Who wrote the book of Romans? His name was Paul. He wrote it to a church, a group of Christians, a group of believers in Jesus situated in Rome. Thus, the book is called Romans. And the reason that our title was I'm Not Ashamed, it came from our key verse, which was Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes first for the Jew, and then for the Gentile. So he first says, I am not ashamed. And it was a challenge to all of us to go to our communities, go to our workplaces, go back to our schools, go back to our families, and to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, gospel is the Greek word euangelion, and it means good news, good news. So Paul puts this First things first, he puts this thing forward and he says, hey, I've got some good news for you. You and Gelion, I've got the gospel for you. It's really good news. But we all know that good news isn't truly good news unless we first understand that there is bad news to then make sense of the good news. So then Paul talks about, and this was our, week, our study last week, he talks about um, condemnation being not okay. So that was our title last week, Condemnation, I'm Not Okay, because there is Bad news, and you know when your parents, I gave this analogy, when you were kids, uh, your parents, if you had siblings, and maybe it was just one of you, and that would have been really awkward if you're a, you know, a, um, into, uh, uh, don't have siblings, you're a, a, an only child. Um, they said, hey, we've got to fa- have a family meeting, and then they said, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news, and usually you wanted to hear the bad news first. Uh, that's what Paul does. He says, listen, I've got the gospel, you and Gelion, I've got good news, but first, in order for you to appreciate and grasp the good news, I'm going to give you the bad news up front. And the bad news is that we are not okay. We are not okay. The word condemnation, Paul uses that word, it means to declare something evil, bad, or wicked. And the bad news is that we are that something that the Bible is declaring as bad, evil, and wicked. Because we have all broken God's commandments. We've all broken God's law. We've all broken God's commandments. The Bible calls us sinners. That's a Bible word. Our world world would happily admit uh, we're not perfect people. We make mistakes. Mistakes is another word for sin. It's called breaking God's commandments. And this was our key word, our key verse from last week. It was Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed... From heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. This is the bad news. The wrath of God remains on people who break his law. And we talked about the verse Romans 3.23, which says, For all have sinned, 
Welcome to the club. We're all part of it. For all have sinned and we all have fallen short of God's perfect standard. And I gave the analogy last week, the word sin, for all have sinned, that word sin in classical Greek, it's an archer's term for archery. Remember the analogy I gave where my brother Tyler and I, uh, we took some um, archery lessons in Bull Run and uh, just a cool you know, little bro session, me and my brother, little archery, little lunch, it was a good time. And the whole time, it was just me and my brother, we were on sharing one target as we were shooting. And then we were comparing ourselves to the father. And remember the dweeb of a son? (laughs) The father and his little dweeby son, they were there also. So it was a very quiet place, just four of us, me and Tyler on one target, father and the dweeb son on the other target. And the dweeb of a son just was, he, he couldn't even dent the target. I mean, he was hitting people in the back. He was pulling back the arrow and just launching that thing, not even coming close to the target. And my brother Tyler and I, you know, we, we weren't hitting bullseye or anything. You know, it was our first time. Um, but at least we were making dents in, in the target in general. And so we, to make ourselves feel good, we would occasionally check on the father and son and just make sure that we were doing better than they, and we would check on them, and we would compare how good we were compared to how bad the father and son were. But then the instructor, the instructor comes along, and he you know, tells us what we're doing right, tells us what we're doing wrong, but he doesn't base our behavior uh, compared to the father and son. He judges whether or not we know what we're doing based on whether or not we're hitting the bullseye. Okay, that's the exact same thing that God does with us, and that's the game we play with God. Okay, in life, we're all archers, and we are comparing ourselves to other people who we think are worse than we are so that we feel good about ourselves. God says, I don't play that game when it comes to access into my kingdom. When it comes to access into my kingdom, into eternity called heaven, I'm not comparing yourself I'm not comparing you to the neighbor across the street who's cheating on his wife. I'm not comparing you to uh, the guy down the road who's getting high every day. I'm not comparing you to you know, all the bad people of the world. I'm comparing you to my standard. And you compared to me, you are way off. You are missing the mark. That's what Romans 3.23 is. For all have sinned and all have fallen short. All are missing the mark of God's perfect standard. And then the consequence, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. The wages of sin is death. So we as sinners who have broken God's commandment, who don't match up to God's perfect standard, we are all subject to God's wrath And God's wrath means punishment, and God's punishment is hell. Eternal separation from God. This is the bad news. And last week, we talked about the the, uh, the, um, excuses people will make. Well, listen, I didn't even know that there was a God. How, How can a God judge me if I didn't even know you existed? And Paul says, no one's without excuse. Number one, because of creation. Creation is daily screaming at us that God is a creator, that there is a designer behind everything you see. 
Just like you see a watch and you know that there's a watchmaker, just like you, like you see a, a, a painting and you know that there was an artist behind it. You look at that beautiful sunset in the morning and you know there is a creator. There is a God. Paul says, you're not without excuse, man. Look at creation. You know that there's a creator. And then the other excuse that people will often bring is, well, I didn't even know that I was doing wrong. I didn't know that I was breaking your law, God. I didn't read the Old Testament. You expect everyone to read all of the Ten Commandments and all the Old Testament laws. I didn't know that I was doing anything wrong. And the reason number two, Paul says there's no excuse is because of conscience. He says, you don't need to know the Ten Commandments to know that you're doing something wrong. I have a two-year-old. Love her to death. My favorite human, other than my wife, my favorite human in the whole world. Well, other, I've got two girls now, so I can't play favorites. <laughs> my list is getting longer here. Ava, my two-year-old. And she is two years old. She can't read the Bible. She can't read in general, but she knows exactly what she's doing. She knows when she's doing wrong. Just the other day, I was in the basement with her and I was working on a project. I was putting together a crib for baby number two. And uh, Ava was there and just looking at my tools and, you know, I was keeping an eye on her. And then all of a sudden I see her take a handful of coins and just start shoving, her, shoving them in her mouth. And, she, and I, I look at her and I flip her over, pat her on the back and spit out all the coins. And man, I'm like admitting to you how bad of a father I am at this moment. <laughs> Um, This doesn't happen very often, just a once in a while. Um, But she knows that she's not supposed to do that. She knows because God has designed her and all of us with a God-given conscience. You don't need to know uh, the Ten Commandments or the Old Testament 613 laws that there are to know that you're not a perfect person because God has given you a conscience. So Paul says, if someone brings up the excuse, well, how can God punish me because I didn't even know I was breaking the law? Paul says, God's given you a conscience to know the difference between right and wrong. You don't necessarily need someone to spell it out for you. Your conscience is your witness. No one has a valid excuse as to why they shouldn't receive the just punishment of hell for their actions and offenses against God. This is the bad news. So the question is, Is there anything we can do? Is there anything we can do about this bad news? Is there anything we can say to God? Is there anything we can do to make things better? Well, to make the bad news even worse, no. There's not. Bad news gets worse. There's not any... We can't do anything. There's nothing we can do to make things right with God. There's nothing we can do you know, we could say sorry to God a thousand times over. There's nothing we can do. We can't, you know, we, should I do all these things at church? Should I get involved? Should I go on a mission trip? Should I, should I do all these things that I know I should be doing and then God will out, my good will outweigh my bad? No. The Bible says no one is good. No one is righteous. So we can't do anything. But Austin, I thought you said that there is good news to this. Well, there is. Thus enters the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why famous Bible verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world. God so loved you. You can personalize that. You can individualize that. God so loved you that He gave His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, 
that whosoever would believe in Him will not perish, will not die in their sins, will not die and go to be eternally in hell separated from God, but will receive everlasting life. This is the good news. This is the good news. God loved you so much that you couldn't do anything. I couldn't do anything. We can't do anything to make our good outweigh our bad in hopes to get right with God. Sin broke our relationship with God. And now there's this big gap between man and God. And we can't do anything to jump that gap. The gap is too big. That's why God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless, perfect life. The life that we couldn't live because we're imperfect sinners. Jesus Christ came, died on a cross, and took the punishment that should have been ours. And then the Bible says, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you believe in Him, you believe in the work that He did for you, you will be saved. You will have everlasting life in the presence of God. This is the good news. This is what we're talking about tonight in Romans chapter 3. So let's talk about this good news. Paul elaborates on it. I hope it encourages you tonight. I want you to open up your hearts to see what God has for you. Romans chapter 3, look at verse 23. We're going to start again on the bad news because verse 23 starts with bad news and then it is followed by good news. So Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we talked about this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here's the good news, verse 24. But are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of of the law. Our title for tonight is go back one more time. Okay, now you can let me thank you. Our title for tonight is Justification, I'm Declared Righteous. Justification, I'm Declared Righteous. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight and Lord, we are just so humbled and we are so grateful for this good news, Lord, that you You would choose to love us as filthy, as dirty, as messed up as we are in our sin, Lord. You would still choose to love us so much that you would send your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. That we could be made right with you again. That we could have a relationship with you again. And so I pray that as we read Romans chapter 3, we just invite your Holy Spirit tonight. We ask that you would do your work in our hearts, Lord. That you would just cut our hearts with your word that you would speak to us, Lord. We just, once again, we thank you. I pray that you would prepare our hearts, Lord, to receive what you would have for us tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, Amen. Justification, I'm declared righteous. So verse 23 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood. There's a lot of big words in there that I don't fully understand. We're going to talk about them. Paul develops his teaching about salvation around three themes, around these three words, justification, redemption, propitiation. His whole talk about salvation and finding our salvation in Christ Jesus, in God through Christ, is surrounded and founded upon these three words that Paul is going to talk about. Justification, redemption, and propitiation. Now I want you to, as we talk about these words, I want you for each individual word, I want an image to pop into your mind. Okay, so for justification, I want the image of a courtroom to pop in your head. Justification is an image of the courtroom. For redemption, redemption is an image from the slave market. We're going to talk about that. And propitiation is an image from the world of religion. Everybody trying to appease their God through sacrifice of an animal or through even people. Okay, propitiation is the idea and gives this image of the world of religion. All trying to appease God through some kind of sacrifice. So firstly, justification. Justification is a legal verdict declaring someone not guilty. That's what justification means. It's a legal verdict declaring someone as not guilty. It's this image of a courtroom, okay? Image of a courtroom, you have a holy, righteous judge. His name is God, okay? And then we have all broken the law. We've all broken the law, okay? So I want you to have an image of a courtroom. There's a judge, and it's a criminal, and God's a judge, we're the criminals, okay? So there's this judge, And there's this criminal. A criminal walks through the courtroom. The crimes have been presented to the judge. He is found guilty of these crimes. And then someone walks in, someone who's innocent, someone who had no affiliation with the crime, walks in, goes to the judge, and he pays your fine. And then the judge justifies you. He declares you as not guilty Not because you didn't commit the crime, but because someone now has paid your fine and now you can be set free. Justified. You are now declared not guilty. Justification solves the problem of man's guilt before a righteous judge. So justification, there's a legal verdict. It's a legal verdict and it's declaring someone as not guilty, acquitted, accepted, forgiven, righteous, And Paul says that this happens to the person who doesn't work for it, okay? It's actually a gift to the person who places their faith in Jesus Christ. And he uses the word faith 20 times between chapters 3 and chapters 5 to emphasize the point that you gain your justification, you gain your legal verdict of not guilty, not because you do anything for it, not because you work your way out of the crime, but because the judge gives you a free gift by your extension of faith in the person who paid your fine. It's all about faith. Listen, I got to hit home with this because we live in such a performance-oriented culture where how we perform dictates what then we will be given. So like at the job or at the office, most of you are working people in this room. Um, 
depending upon how you perform at your work, will then determine if you will get a raise or if you will get a promotion. It's all dependent upon your performance. Okay, And we live in such a works-oriented, performance-driven culture that how we perform on the football field will determine if I'll get the starting position. How I perform at work will determine whether or not I'll get a bonus or get a raise. But God comes along and He says that the way our world thinks when it comes to performance, you've got to get that out of your minds when it comes to the message of salvation. Listen. How you perform on this earth does not dictate whether or not God will gift you with salvation. There's nothing we can do. It is all based on if you put your faith and your trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He sent to die for you. It'd be like this. It'd be as if you were uh, flying on an airplane and uh, you got a parachute and you said... You know, I believe in the parachute, but you didn't actually put your faith in it and jumped. Listen, the only way you express your actual trust or faith in the parachute is if you actually jump with the parachute, okay? And then obviously pull it. The way you don't put your faith in something is if you just all day say, I believe in it and, you know, I'm working towards it, okay? The word belief can only do so much. Faith is an action word. It's when you actually place your faith and trust in the parachute to prove that you actually have your faith and trust in that item. It's the same thing with Jesus Christ. You could say, well, I believe that there's a God. I believe that Jesus came. That's a good thing. The gospel says that even the demons believe and yet they tremble. So our belief has to go beyond just, I believe that there's a God. I believe in Jesus. It's faith. It is trusting. It is placing your life. It is placing your faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Like, Jesus, I believe that you came to die on the cross for my sins and I'm giving you my life. I'm placing my my life into your hands. Paul says, we don't do anything to earn this. We can't work towards it. That's why he talks about faith 20 times within only three chapters. It's faith, faith, placing your faith in Jesus Christ. You can't work for it. And he talks about justification. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be justified. God looks at you and says, you're not guilty. You're not guilty of your sin because Jesus came and paid for it. A way to remember the word justification is just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Just as if I had never even sinned. That's how God sees you when He says you are justified. Not by works, not by anything you do, not by how you perform, not by your good works for God, not by walking the old lady across the street, not by giving money here at the church, not by coming to young adults, not by going on a missions trip. Those are all good things, but they don't save you. It's by placing your faith in the work that Jesus did on your behalf. Justification. And then Paul talks about the next word, and it's the word redemption. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the word redemption, I want you to have the image of a slave market, an ancient slave market. Redemption has the idea of buying back something. Okay, and it involves a cost. It involves a cost. The word translated redemption, it has its origin describing the release of prisoners of war on payment of a price and was known as the ransom. 
And as time went on, it was extended to include the freeing of slaves again by the payment of a price. So if you were a slave like on an ancient Roman warship, you were then set free sometimes if someone were to pay on your behalf so that you could then be redeemed. It was called the ransom. And the idea of redemption in the context of the gospel means that Jesus bought you and therefore now we belong to him. And the payment was his blood when he shed it for us on the cross. Jesus bought us back to God. Does that make sense? So we were all dead in our sins, and when we sinned, it separated us from God. We were now slaves to death. We were now slaves to our own sin. We were now bound to the promise of hell. And then God sends Jesus to buy us back to him. And the payment, there was a cost, it was Jesus' blood. That was the payment that then satisfied our souls. This is the idea of redemption. And then Paul uses the big word in verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith. Propitiation. This is what it means, a substitute sacrifice. It's a big theological word that means an atonement, a substitute as a sacrifice. And it has the image of the world of religion because the ancient Greek word is helasterion, And the word in its classical form was used of the act of appeasing the Greek gods, obviously false gods, but it was used to appease the Greek gods by sacrifice. In other words, the sacrifice was offered to buy off the anger of their God. So Jesus came as our substitute. Listen, we are all sinners and we are all deserving of death. So what did God do? He sent Jesus as our substitute. A substitute is someone who takes the place of another. Like if you're subbing in sports, hey, get the sub in, he's going to replace this guy. That's what God did with Jesus. We deserve death, but God gave us Jesus as our substitute so that we wouldn't have to experience God's punishment. This is what propitiation means. And that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin, being Jesus, became sin for us so that we might in Him be the righteousness of God. So God's punishment went on Jesus instead of us so we could be set free. We are made righteous. It's not our righteousness that we get. It's Christ's. It's God's righteousness. And we get it not because our faith is righteous, but because we are in Christ. Listen, He takes our sin, we take His righteousness. He takes our punishment, we take His life. He takes our death, we take our eternity in heaven with the Lord. It's this substitutionary effect that everything that we deserve, Jesus took for us. And now because Jesus took that for us, we now receive everything that Jesus had. Perfect relationship with God, perfect place in heaven for all eternity. A substitute. Propitiation, redemption, justification. This is why then in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Listen, do any of you tonight, you just deep down, you know that you don't have that peace with God. That your relationship with God, you've heard of God and you've come to church and you've believed about Jesus. You have no problems with that. But you've never really placed your faith. You've never really given your life over to Jesus. And you sense that between you and God, things are just not, not good. Things are just not right right now. That you don't have peace with God. Romans 5, 8 through 9 says, But God demonstrated His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we now have been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? Listen, God demonstrated His love for you in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Listen, you didn't have to clean up your life to get right with God. God doesn't require you to get your life right, to clean up your life, to set aside the sin, to set aside all the bad stuff that you know you're doing, you know you're up to. God doesn't tell you, listen, get, get your right life, okay, put aside the pornography, okay, put aside the lust, okay, put aside the drunkenness, put aside all this stuff, get clean, and then you can have a relationship with me. No, even while you were still in that crap, even while you were still in that junk, even while you were still in your sin, even while you were still doing that, doing this, Jesus loved you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for you because He loved you even in your sin. God doesn't want you to get right with Him and to clean up your act and to do all these good stuff to then have some kind of a a merit to then say, hey God, I'm doing all this good stuff for you. I'm trying to clean up my act. And now, okay, God now says, I'll have a relationship with you because you got your act together because now you're clean. God says, no, even while you were dead in your sin, I loved you so much that I sent my son Jesus to die for you so that then I could transform your heart so that then I could make you clean. You can't make yourself clean on your own. I've tried it myself and I've failed every time. I've tried by my own good works. I've tried by praying a lot. I've tried by going to church every day, every week. I've tried by doing all this good stuff to then somehow find favor with God. And God says, you can't, none of that stuff gains favor with me. None of that stuff gains right relationship with me. It's all the work that I did for you on the cross. It's a gift. And by gift, by definition, means it's something you can't earn. It's a gift. And even in your mess, even in your sin, God loved you so much to die for you on the cross. That's Romans 5, 8 through 9. Romans 8, chapter 1 says, therefore, remember two weeks ago, our word was condemnation. Well, Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God does now not declare you as condemned. He doesn't declare you as evil or as wicked or as bad because now if you're in Christ, He sees you as He sees His perfect Son, Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. God doesn't condemn you any longer if you're in Christ. If you extend your faith and put your trust in Jesus, you give your life to him. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a question. Austin, how do I do this? How, what, what can I do? How do I get saved? Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, 
you will be saved. It's easy. It's ABC. It's one, two, three. It's so simple, yet so unbelievable that God, you would do this for me? If, you, if I simply just turn from my sin, I just confess that Jesus is Lord and I believe that God raised Jesus back from the dead, then I will be saved. That's the Bible's promise. Not my authority. That's God's word. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the good news. Have you done that? Have you done that? Have you confessed publicly with your mouth, Jesus is Lord? Have you actually believed in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead? Have you called out to the Lord and asked Him to save you? Because Romans chapter 13 says, for anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Have you done that? Listen, don't leave tonight just not knowing whether you've done that before. Okay, you can leave tonight with an assurance knowing that you are no longer condemned by God, that you are no longer under His judgment, that you will no longer be punished by Him if you simply just confess that He's Lord, that you believe He came to die for your sins. You place your trust in Jesus. You give your life to Him. Accept Him. And the promise is there's no more condemnation for you. You have passed from death to life. And when you pass from this world, you'll go to be with God in eternity. That's the promise. It's the best decision you can ever make. And listen, it's the most important decision that you can ever make. Do not leave this room tonight not knowing if you've ever really done that. You can do that tonight. You can leave here knowing that God has paid your fine. Fine, He's paid your debt. You don't owe anything to God because God did everything for you if you just put your faith in Jesus. If you just believe on Him. So tonight, if you feel God tugging at your heart, tonight, um, don't ignore it. Listen, our title, justification, I'm made righteous, I'm declared righteous. The word righteous, it just means to be right with God. Are you right with God tonight? I love you. And the thing I want most for you is that you would give your life to Jesus Christ and that you would be made right with Him. And the only way you are made right with Him is when you believe on His Son, Jesus Christ. So right now I'm going to ask Steph to come back up and, and I want her to lead us in this next song. Um, and as Stephanie is playing and as she's singing, um, as we sing... Listen, if you want to get right with God tonight, if you want to stop living for yourself and living for your sin, if you want to get right with God tonight, I'm going to ask you to do a very bold and a very public thing. And as we sing this song, I'm going to ask that if you want to get right with God tonight, if you want to place your trust in Jesus Christ and you want to get saved, if you want to be saved, I'm going to ask that while we sing this song, After I pray, I'm going to ask that you come forward and you stand down right here. Listen, this is a safe place. You're amongst friends. You're amongst friends who love you. And the reason I want you to make a public, bold declaration of your faith is because if you don't do it in here, you're not going to do it out there. 
And so as Stephanie sings this song, um, if you want to make that decision to give your life to Christ tonight, I just want you to come forward and you stand down here. And for as many, if anyone is standing down here, uh, then I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer together so that you can give your life to Christ, so that you can be saved. It's the best decision you could ever make for yourself. The most important thing is to give your life to Christ. And you don't have to leave here not knowing. You can leave here tonight knowing that you are saved, that you are forgiven, that you are free, that you are made new, that you are made righteous, that you are made holy, that you have a place in heaven when you die because of what Jesus Christ did for you. Believe on Him tonight. Make that decision. And so I'm going to ask just to make it easy for those who do want to come down front, I'm going to ask us all to stand. And listen, um, if you do choose to come down front tonight, just remain down here and I'm going to pray for those who are down here and uh, I'm going to lead you in a word of prayer. Um, listen, you're amongst friends, like I said, and we'll, we'll applaud you when you come down because it's the best decision you can ever make. And so we're going to sing a little bit of this song here and if anyone wants to come forward, um, just come forward while we sing this song and then I'll be back up and I'll lead us in that word of prayer. And the Bible says that even for one person who comes into relationship with Jesus Christ, even for one person, says that there's a symphony, a, a huge praise session going on in heaven right now with the angels for those who've come forward to accept Christ. And so listen, this is the most important decision of your entire life. And the Bible says that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you will be saved, that you will go to be with the Lord in heaven for all of eternity when you die on this earth. It's the best thing you can ever do. And listen, let me just tell each and every one of you that God loved you. Even if you were the only person alive, God would have done the same thing. He still would have sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you so that you could be brought back to him because that's how much God loves you. That's how much God wants you to be in His family, that He would send His only Son to take your place to die for you. So thank you for making the best decision of your life tonight. And so even now, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to go slowly. And there's nothing magical in the prayer. There's nothing magical uh, in these words, but it's your heart and your attitude towards the Lord, just asking the Lord to save you from your sins and to fill you with His Spirit and to give you new life in Christ. But I'm going to go slowly and as I pray these words, just repeat after me. I'm just going to lead you in this prayer, okay? So let's do that now. Lord Jesus, and say it out loud, say it, just make it a bold declaration. Lord Jesus, I thank you for sending your Son to die for me. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for the promise of eternal life in heaven. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Amen.